text is Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. I hope each of you enjoyed a blessed Thanksgiving this week. I know we did. Um, Since most of who's here is my family, I can say we we had a pretty good Thanksgiving. We built a fence to which I am thankful to the Lord that it is now standing and holding fast. So thanks to Lynn and her fence-building expertise. Well, Thanksgiving might be past, but uh, I think there's no better time to consider... Uh, the substance of what biblical thankfulness is, the why of our thankfulness to God. And especially now, I feel it's appropriate even as we uh, stand at the beginning of a season of of Advent. But it's really something that we should uh, remind ourselves of, biblical thankfulness that is. It's something that we should remind ourselves of uh, throughout the year because it's something that should characterize not just uh, our lives and attitudes for one week or one day out of the year, but really for Uh, the whole scope of the year, indeed our entire lives as Christians. And what is thankfulness? Thankfulness is an act of joyous worship in response to the fullness of God's blessing which we have received in Christ. Thankfulness is an act of joyous worship in response to the fullness of God's blessing which we have received in Christ. Thankfulness is an expression of worship, and it's an expression of worship that comes out of a godly contentment. Because we are content in the Lord, we can express our gratitude, our thanksgiving, and declarations of praise. And contentment for Paul and for each and every one of us as Christians is a state of being. Paul tells us it is the result of being in Christ. You're going to hear me use those words quite a bit tonight, in Christ. And the objective of this sermon really is uh, to draw our minds back to this great promise of Scripture, which we see here in Philippians 4.19, to remember that God will supply for every need. And the point is that we may together recognize that we have all that we need to be content, and so we have all that we need to be thankful continually. Let's hear from God's very word. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your provision. We're grateful, Lord, for this promise, Lord, which we often need to return to, to remind ourselves, Lord, that you are the God who will provide in any and every circumstance all that we need to live for you. Father, you have given us your word as a means of grace to strengthen us, Lord. And we ask now that you would open our hearts and minds to receive that great word, Lord. Let what comes out of my mouth be not of me, but be of you. May you be glorified, Lord, through your word this evening. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It seems to be that whatever I'm preaching on is what I get tested on the most. And contentment has been something that I've been wrestling with this season. We've had a lot of changes, of course, uh, in our life. And and contentment is a place of stability. And uh, much of our uh, lives, much of our lives uh, these past couple months has has not been stable in necessarily the way that I would want it to be. But earlier this week as I was teaching uh, at the Anchorage and reflecting on 
contentment and looking at biblical thankfulness, I returned again to these verses. And what better verses uh, to consider the concepts of, of biblical thankfulness and contentment than in these words here, in which Paul declares uh, these wonderful words. He says here, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I would like to be able to say the same as Paul. I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Well, how did Paul come to know this? And what is the secret of contentment that he speaks of? Well, he's learned and recognized that in Christ, he's received everything that he needs Everything that Paul needs personally to fulfill his ministry, to do what God has asked him to do. Because Paul is in Christ, remember I mentioned that's a state of being in Christ, and it's true for Paul as it is for us as well. Because Paul is in Christ, he can say that no obstacle is going to stand in the way of me carrying out what God has called me to do. And so I will ever be content in any and every circumstance. I love that. Any and every. It's it's comprehensive. There's nothing that gets left out here. And he says, of course, in those great words, I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. The secret of contentment, the secret of godly contentment is Christ. Now, Paul goes on to exhort the Philippian church to remember that they share in this reality as believers united to Christ and that they too should come to know and receive this contentment just as Paul has And he reminds them of this by way of this promise that we're looking at here tonight. And this is what has particularly captured my attention in seasons where I feel like I am personally unstable. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is an incredible statement. Whether whether we're in seasons of plenty and abundance, or whether we're in seasons of, of great need, this is a promise that's worth uh, returning to over and over again. Because it's here that we find the substance and, and really the source, the fount of godly contentment. And I think that that's something that we could all use more of. And so there's three things that uh, I want you to notice about this statement, three things that we're going to look at in greater detail tonight. And first is, we're just going to look at this promise. We're going to look at this promise, which is that God will supply for every need. So our first section is the promise, God will supply for every need. Second, we're going to look at the means by which God supplies for that every need, particularly by looking at how Paul, or how God provided for Paul's need through what Paul calls in verse 15, a partnership of giving and receiving between believers. So part one is the promise. Part two is the means God supplies for every need through his people. And then third and finally, we're going to look at the source. We're going to see that the source of this promise, in other words, the substance of it, the foundation of it, is that God supplies for every need according to or from his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The promise, the means, the source. So let's begin with the promise. God will supply for every need. I want to draw your attention to this fact right away. Notice he says every need, not every want. That's an important place to start, especially as we're working through our Christmas lists and and baby registries, especially as we're hearing these consistent messages of buy now as much as you can and as quick as you can because it won't be here for long 
Right In the midst of that, it's important for us to hear and remember that God's provision is wholly sufficient for every need, but it is wholly sufficient for our needs and not necessarily our wants. And we should really see this as a great blessing. It, it, it's, it's not a, a burden. I mean, were we to receive everything that we want, it might not be as good as we, as we think it would be. You know, someone mentioned this a couple weeks ago. It may have been uh, Annie in, in our Bible study. I can't remember. She brought up the crude Jim Carrey classic, Bruce Almighty. And uh, this is not a movie I'm going to recommend to you from the pulpit. Uh, but there is this interesting scene in which Bruce, who in essence steps in to be God for a short period of time, he's receiving all these prayer requests from believers all across the world, uh, and they, they portray it as coming in as, as emails to his computer, and it absolutely overwhelms him. Yeah, and instead of answering each of these requests according to a sovereign knowledge and divine kindness, which you would otherwise get with God, but you're stuck with Jim Carrey, uh, he impatiently types yes and hits reply all to every single prayer request. And of course what ensues is just absolute chaos. You know, like 20 people, 20,000 people win the lottery and uh, people are dying because somebody prayed that that person would die. It's just, it's chaos, right? Uh, what what, what um, Bruce did not know is that we often uh, are praying for what we want. Uh, and, and of course God in his sovereignty knows not to give us what we always want, but gives us exactly what we need. God provides absolutely, comprehensively, completely for every need. And we don't need to look very far to find an example of this, uh, for we have one right here in front of us in Paul's own ministry. You see, a few verses earlier, Paul is in fact commending the Philippian church for their support of his ministry. He says, uh, it was kind of you, verse 14, to share in my trouble and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Paul's prayer for his situation and circumstance was no doubt that God would supply the necessary means for Paul to carry out his ministry. Paul's need was to fulfill his ministry by carrying the message of the gospel to these churches in Asia Minor. And God answers that need, and he answers it specifically through the participation, or what Paul calls here, the partnership of other believers. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later. Well, the point is this. The, this promise declares to us that God supplies for our every need. Now, as I was writing this sermon, I had in mind, it just kept coming back to me, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, which says this. So if we're wanting to know even more, even greater detail of how God provides for our needs, here it is. His divine power, that is God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Let me break that down. God has granted to us, by his divine power, all that we need for life and godliness, all that we need, through his precious and very great promises, which we have come to know and to receive because he has called us into his own glory and excellence. That's a marvelous statement that I would love printed on my head every morning so that I could read it when I wake up. And this passage fits really well with 
the promise here in Philippians 4.19. For we see that the Apostle Peter, alongside Paul, though they're writing from very different circumstances, they're declaring here a consistent message, and it's one that we need to hear. God supplies us with everything that we need, and put in parentheses there, to live for Him. God supplies us with everything that we need to live for Him, to live according to our calling in Christ. Right, the natural question that arises when we look at this promise is, well, if God has promised to supply for every need, what is it that we need? What, what, is our, what is our need? What is our greatest need? Well, if we consider, as we've said many times in this church, that our basic and most wondrous purpose is to, what is the chief end of man? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Then the sum, the very basic summation of what we need is whatever is required to actually do that. What we need is whatever is required to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So you see, it's God's glory that actually defines what our needs are. Man, that might... I'm just thinking here of how that might change our perspective in Advent. That it's God's glory that defines what we need. I think we get it backwards. We let our wants and our desires define what we need. How different would it be if it was God's glory that defined what we truly needed? Hopefully, though, over time, as we heard this morning, as we are sanctified more and more, what we want will also then come in line with this. And what we want will be also defined by God's glory so that we are actually very much desiring God's glory. Well, understood this way, we can have full assurance. If our basic, most fundamental need is to glorify God, then we can be sure God is going to give us everything that we need to do that. How could he not? And in fact, he already has. The reason why we're here tonight is because God's given us everything that we need. God has provided of himself. He's given his own son, our Lord and Savior, and perfect righteousness, the one who the prophets foretold the fulfillment of every single one of those precious and very great promises that Peter was speaking of. Listen, you think Peter and Paul didn't collaborate? Just listen to 2 Corinthians 1.20. What does Paul say? For all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Peter says, God by His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through His precious and very great promises. And Paul says, yes, and those precious and very great promises are Christ Himself. In Christ, we've been given His Spirit. And the Spirit bears witness to the teachings and the ways of Christ that we might not walk according to the flesh, but that we might walk in the light of life. All who are in Christ share in this reality. We are, as I would say, fully stocked. Loaded to the brim. The pantry is stuffed full. We are overflowing at the edge. God has given us in Christ all that we need to live for Him. This is again, as this is the foundation of, what, of how and why Paul is able to declare, I can do all things. He means in Christ. I have full contentment in, every, in any, any and every circumstance because I have Christ. And we can say the same thing. I want you to hear that again one more time. As believers united to Christ, we can be sure that God will supply us with all that we need to live as the people of God. For the glory of the Father, 
to the wondrous praise of the Son and in the power of the Spirit. Now we can, we could end there. Now that we've applied that promise kind of broadly, that God will supply for every need, our need being to glorify God, but we can also apply that promise more narrowly. For example, if we're called by God in Christ to teach, we can be assured that he will supply all that we need to teach to the glory of God. If we are called by God to preach, even when we don't feel like it, we can be assured that he will supply all that we need to preach to the glory of God. If God has called us to be a student, we can be assured that he will supply all that we need to study to the glory of God. If God has called us to be a grandmother, a grandfather, a mother, a father, a husband, a wife, a friend, we can be assured that he will supply all that we need to be a God-glorifying grandmother, grandfather, mother, father, husband, wife, and friend. If God has called us into a ministry to addicts, we can be assured that he will supply all that we need to carry out that ministry to the glory of God. Whatever task, whatever responsibility, whatever occupation, what God has called us to do in Christ, he will equip us to do and supply us with what we need to do it and all for his glory. That's an amazing promise. And believe me when I say that I'm often required to cling to that promise, cleave to that promise like bare knuckle cling. When I'm less than two months away from the birth of my firstborn child and I can hardly stifle the unbelievable excitement and equally anxious terror of being a first-time father, I return to this promise. When I'm required to write seven papers in ten days and I don't come out of my room for two of those days or shower for three of them. When I'm three weeks behind in my seminary work schedule and I can't seem to catch up on my Hebrew homework, this is a promise that I return to you. You know, I realized something funny the other day. Uh, You know when Jesus in Matthew 5 says that not a jot or tittle will pass away from the law? I now know experientially what he means by every jot and tittle because I'm having to memorize every jot and tittle. If you want a lesson in trusting and hanging on to the promise that God will give you all that you need, uh, try learning Hebrew. This is a promise that we should cling to, a promise we should return to time and time again when we feel like we're underprepared, we're ill-equipped and out of our league for the task's that have been entrusted to us. When you feel like you cannot measure up, this promise is for you. Hear me say it again. What God has called us to, He will equip us to do and supply us with what we need to do it, all for His glory. Now, we cannot ignore the fact that this passage and this promise speak specifically to the issue of communal Support What Paul calls here in verse 15, a partnership of giving and receiving. A partnership of giving and receiving. And this is where we enter into our second section here. This looks at the means by which God provides for and supplies for every need. As a missionary, Paul knew very well what dependence upon God looked like. And what it looked like was dependence on God's provision through acts of mercy and giving on the part of other believers. Paul very much depended upon the support of the various churches and individuals that he served. These were the means that God provided for Paul to be able to carry out his ministries. Without these faithful churches, without the generous and faithful individuals called by God to be faithful churches and generous individuals, without these, Paul's ministry really would have struggled and suffered. 
God supplies for every need, and the means that he uses to supply for every need is the generous and faithful support of his obedient people. And I'm convinced that one of the greatest challenges to this promise, particularly this area of this promise, the means, one of the greatest challenges is that we are often hesitant and resistant to trust God with our resources and therefore hesitant and resistant to participate in this partnership of giving and receiving that we're given here. We're hesitant to trust God with our time because it already feels like we have so little of it, right? We're hesitant and resistant to trust God with our money because what happens if inflation continues to increase and gas goes up to $7 a gallon and we can't afford to buy groceries? Maybe we'll ride horses and build gardens. We're hesitant and resistant to be hospitable because we don't have the energy to host and because our house isn't clean. We're hesitant and resistant to reach out into our community because it's awkward and uncomfortable and they probably already go to another church anyways. When this hesitance and resistance dominates our will to obey, dominates our will to be faithful, we fail to participate in God's means of supply. We miss out on the blessing of being involved in God's work. What we should see as a privilege, we instead kind of bemoan as a burden. And the way we ought to see it is that we get to participate in God's ministry of supply, not that we have to, but that we get to. What we need to see here in the example of the Philippian church for Paul is is this, that we are an integral part of God's system of provision. Let me say that again. We are, as God's people, as, as the body of Christ, an integral part of God's system of provision. We need to reorient our perspective. We need to see... Uh, that the giving up of our time, the giving up of our resources, this is a great privilege because by doing so, we're actually getting to participate in God's supply, God's answered prayers to other people. The Philippian church were an answer to, to Paul's need that God used to supply and fulfill that need. I, I think this makes sense for us when we're supporting missionaries that are going abroad. It makes sense to us because without, their, without support, they can't go. But this is not a system that we're meant to just kind of stick over here in the corner for missionaries. It's one that we're meant to share in here in our local body and community as well. And I want you to, to see as well here, Paul mentions this is a system of both giving and receiving. You see, it's odd, but some of us are not very good at receiving help. I'll throw myself in that category. And some of us may be now in seasons of giving, while others of us may be in seasons of receiving. And the marvelous way that God has designed this partnership is that so believers in different seasons can support one another. And this is the picture that we see in Acts 2, isn't it, with the early church? One of my professors in seminary called this the New Testament model of chesed. Now, chesed is a Hebrew word that is notoriously difficult to translate, but most likely it means loyalty, loving kindness, or steadfast love in a covenant context. Chesed means loyalty, loving kindness, or steadfast love in a covenant context. And my professor, as he was taking us through the gospel accounts, noted that in the Old Testament, chesed was understood to be the foundation of God's provision. Because God was loyal and faithful to his covenant, his acts in space and time would reflect that loyalty and faithfulness 
and what the people of the Old Testament called expressions of steadfast love. This is chesed. In other words, God expresses chesed through acts of provision which demonstrates his commitment to the covenant. Now, in the New Testament, my professor said, this is carried over into the community of faith where believers are actually called to do those acts of chesed, to do those acts of steadfast love and mercy which reflect the character and the provision of God. And this is, in many ways, what it means to love our neighbors, to give of ourselves. We love through acts of chesed which reflect the character of God. The model is this, that the one who is needy is praying to God. God supplies another believer who then gives to the one who is needy, who then gives praise back to God. And what's so wonderful is that in that system, what we're, what we're declaring is, is really our unity in Christ. Okay, we're going back there to in Christ. But that's what we're declaring when we're participating in this giving and receiving. We're declaring our unity in Christ, who is, of course, the fullness of God's loving kindness and steadfast love. So if you are in a season of giving, give cheerfully and humbly. If you're in a season of receiving, receive cheerfully and humbly. We ought not to resist the urge. We ought not resist the call to do either to give or to receive. For God has appointed these means uh, to be how he supplies his people for the carrying on and carrying out of their various callings. Now, that's just mind-blowing and fascinating to me. So we can see here, not only does God supply us with what we need to glorify him in carrying out our individual callings, but he also supplies us for the purpose of supplying others. As members of Christ's body, we have this great privilege. And I hope that we can see it as a great privilege when it comes time for us to give. And we come to our uh, last section, which looks at the substance or the source of this promise, which is, as Paul describes it here, the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, what does Paul mean by this statement? Well, I want you to consider the words of the doxology, which we have just sung. Familiar words, but wonderful words. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. God is the fount of every blessing, and the means by which God expresses that blessing and favor is only but completely in Christ. So again, all who are in Christ, who have received and rested upon Him in faith, receive that wonderful heavenly inheritance. What Paul calls here the riches of glory in Christ, which is a restored relationship with our Maker and perfect unity with Christ our King. So what Paul means then is that Christ is both the substance, the the, the summation and the source of all of God's blessings. And thus Christ is the substance and source of God's provision. What God provides for us ultimately comes from what we've gained in Christ. Christ is the channel through which we receive all the blessings of God. Now, let me, that's, that's kind of theological, and, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But remember that Paul here is speaking very practically of financial and material support and in terms of these churches in the Philippian church in terms of their support of him and his ministry. And yet Paul here wants us to know that he's crediting that blessing, which came through the Philippians, he's crediting that blessing as coming from ultimately from God, 
who gives and supplies out of the abundance of the riches in glory in Christ. In other words, the practical blessings, those come out of the theological. Provision for Paul's physical needs, that comes out of God's provision for spiritual needs. And what is our greatest spiritual need? A Savior, a Redeemer, and friend. Christ fulfills that greatest need at every level. And this is so encouraging, such an encouraging point for us to end on here tonight because it can often seem like our physical needs aren't being met. I know that we can be in seasons where it feels like our physical needs are not being met. We may feel like we're not going to make it to the end of the month financially. We may feel like we don't have the resources to keep the lights on. We may feel like we're out of time. Deadlines are approaching. We may feel out of energy and enthusiasm when it comes to our various callings and careers. We may feel like looking at the purely practical, the purely physical, that there is little to be thankful for, that there's little to find contentment in. But Paul says here, again, as a reminder, that contentment is not in the practical. It's not in what you can see. It's in the eternal. Our contentment is not found in our circumstances. Contentment is found in the riches of Christ. We often get it backwards. I get it backwards. We, we think the practical informs the theological. Our minds just work this way, whether we want them to or not. We tend to feel like if we're materially blessed, if we're successful by worldly standards, if we're happy in our circumstances, if we've minimized suffering in our, in our life, if there's money in the bank and food in the fridge, that those things are indicative of our spiritual reality. So we tend to believe that the proof of our spiritual blessing is in the substance of our physical blessings. There's no greater time of temptation to feel that way than Christmas season. We look at what we are lacking instead of what we have gained. But the model that Paul puts forward here is just the opposite. Paul says, no, no, listen, the proof of our physical blessings is in the substance of our spiritual blessings. And this is where contentment in every circumstance is to be found. Not in our earthly circumstances, but in our heavenly inheritance. An inheritance which is ours because, as Paul will say elsewhere in Romans, we are co-heirs with Christ. Do you realize that? What, what, what matters with earthly riches when we are co-heirs with Christ, the King of heaven? We are inheritors of all the riches and the glories of heaven. The chief of those riches being Christ himself, who we can now together all call our own, just as he calls us his own. And so therefore, we ought not to be anxious about anything. The Lord is near, Emmanuel God is with us. Don't be anxious about anything, brothers and sisters, but everything by prayer. And supplication, depending upon God and with great thanksgiving and contentment in our hearts, let your requests then be made known to God as you seek that which he will certainly supply for what you need. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all earthly understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. May this promise stir in us a greater contentment this Advent season, trusting and resting upon God's provision With solid assurance, he will supply for every need according to the riches 
of heavenly glory, which are ours in Christ Jesus. So let's just say together with Paul, verse 20 here, to our God in doxology, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are such a great and loving God that even the sparrow finds a home at your altars, Lord. We thank you for the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. Father, we pray that during this season of Advent, Lord, as we prepare our hearts, Lord, as we continually go back to the promises of your word, which point our minds and our hearts to Christ, that we will not be distracted by earthly possessions, that we will not be distracted by what we don't have. We won't be distracted by our earthly circumstances, Lord, but we will look to our heavenly reality the inheritance, which is even at this moment being guarded and kept for us in Christ Jesus. May that give us confidence. May that give us contentment, Lord, recognizing you have given us in Christ all that we need to live for you. Help us now to go and do that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.